Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle. And I'm Sandra Lindsay. Yeah, today we got a great show. We're talking about ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy. It's been around for a long time. It's got a little bit of stigma attached to it, but it's a highly effective treatment for treating people with severe depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. That's correct, Rob. Um, you know, I read these stats that just blew me away. Over 100,000 patients get treated with ECT annually, and it's effective in eight out of 10 patients who suffer from major depression, they find relief in, in ECT. And as you mentioned, it's been around for over 80 years. Yeah, you know, you talk to people and a lot of people that you talk to say, I was hesitant to get this because it sounds scary, right? Electroconvulsive therapy. But I'm so glad I did because I was at the end of my rope. I, you know, I tried everything and this really helped me to get my life back. Um, I, I listened to that interview you did and the patient, um, described it as not scary at all. When I listened to her story, it was heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. She had an amazing outcome. Yeah. Her name is Catherine Gorleski. And I was just so blown away uh, by her interview because, um, it basically changed her life and in talking to her, she knew exactly when she started ECT because it was the last time she attempted to commit suicide. I have so much more happiness in my life than before. Not only happy to be alive, I want to be alive and I want to be happy. She suffers from bipolar disorder and it really crippled her where she couldn't hold a job. Her relationships with people weren't any good. Um, and now she's doing this maintenance ECT and she's got her life back and she's happy and she became an advocate for ECT. So I think it's really important to get the word out and let people know about this, you know, because there's not enough information out there about it. So your interview was so powerful and, you know, just to hear her share her story, I remember that date. I think it was February 2015. Yeah, and, and that interview was so impactful to me. I wanted to learn more and take a deeper dive into this. And so so I reached out to Dr. Soheg Sangani, who is the director of Zucker Hillside Hospital's ECT service. In part one of this two-part interview, he breaks down how ECT works and how it benefits patients like Catherine. In part two, we get into the long history of ECT, addressing the stigma surrounding this life-saving treatment and how Zucker Hillside Hospital has been a leader in its evolution over the years. Good afternoon, Dr. Sangani. It's such a pleasure to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Dr. Lindsay, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an Please honor. Please call it, me Sandra. <laughs> it's, it's an honor to meet you. Have, I've heard a lot about you and we have seen your videos and pictures and it's it's such an uh, honor and pleasure to meet you in person. Yeah, Same is, here. This is awesome. This is going to be a great conversation because we're talking about something that's highly effective. That's a fantastic treatment for people with depression and bipolar, which is electroconvulsive therapy. But there's also a big stigma around it. And we're going to help kind of break that t down today. Yeah. So for our listeners, what is ECT? Sure. So ECT stands for electroconvulsive therapy. It is the most rapidly acting uh, antidepressant treatment. And it's also very effective in patients who have suicidal ideation or depression with psychosis or catatonia. We use electricity to stimulate the brain. 
And many people are surprised to know that the actual time for which we stimulate the brain is a couple of seconds. And even within those couple of seconds, the actual time for which the charge is being delivered is less than a second. So think of it like this. You take a charge which is less than a second and then you spread it into few milliseconds and give it in small pulses. And that is administered over a couple of seconds and that induces a seizure which is very controlled and it lasts for about a minute and then the patient wakes up in about 5 to 10 minutes. Uh, it takes them for another 20 minutes to get oriented to the surrounding. We give them some juice to drink to make sure they're able to tolerate it okay. And once they are fully awake, their vitals are stable. So If they are admitted on an inpatient unit, they would go back to the inpatient unit. If they're coming from home, they go back home. Yeah, you know, so what you talked about before being simple, I sat in on one of these procedures and as a, a videographer, just to record it for awareness, to let people know what happens. And it was kind of boring because not much happened in those few minutes. And, and the doctor told me this is one of the shortest procedures there is in medicine. Yep. And uh, Rob, it's funny that you say that because we hear the same thing from medical students. They come in to observe a treatment and they're coming in expecting a lot of drama. And then the treatment is over and they say, oh, that's it. I'm like, yeah, there's not much drama here. At Zucker Hillside, uh, family members bring the uh, patients for the treatment. They, they come in their own clothes. Uh, they get an IV. A nurse meets them, uh, does a brief memory evaluation. And then a psychiatrist comes in, uh, meets the patient, puts the sticky pads on, which are the stimulus electrodes. Uh, anesthesiologist comes in. Uh, we do a timeout. We make sure we are all on the same page. And uh, all the anesthesia is given through IV. We are giving anesthesia because we are giving muscle relaxant. Uh, so ECT was invented in 1938. Between 1938 and 1950, uh, it was done without anesthesia. And patients used to come for uh, subsequent treatments. This was the most effective treatment. Uh, and it was, if it was painful or anything like that, no one would come back for the second treatment. Uh, but it's mainly uh, during that period when we were doing it without anesthesia, the body was, the stimulus, those few seconds would produce an intense contraction. So the body would go in a tonic contraction and those contractions used to sometimes result in fractures. So to prevent that, we have to give muscle relaxant. And whenever you're giving someone a muscle relaxant, you have to be give them general anesthesia because their breathing is also going to stop at, at that time. So uh, it, we give general anesthesia, followed by muscle relaxant, uh, and then we do the stimulus. So how do you make the decision to get to ECT? How is it prescribed? Is it after um, unsuccessful medical therapy or if somebody has suicidal ideations attempted suicide before, do you go immediately to ECT or do you try medications first? Uh, so it, it, it varies from patient to patient and it all depends on the urgency of the situation. Uh, so ECT is the treatment of choice when someone has severe depression uh, with suicidal ideation or psychotic features and the treating psychiatrist usually would make a decision as to how urgent is the need. Uh, 
if they can wait for medi- to try for medication, they would do that. But if the patient is not eating, not drinking, very catatonic, uh, then they would go for ECT, right? Uh, they may try other medication and then immediately go for ECT. Uh, there are conditions where sometimes they would wait for a couple of weeks for medications to work. Uh, but if they're not getting enough results, then they would go for ECT. Now, once a patient starts ECT, do you have patients who are also on medications or is it one or the other? Uh, most patients are on medications uh, and we actually encourage patients to stay on some of the medications. Now, when they are getting ECT, ECT's effect supersedes that of medication. But being on medication helps in the maintenance phase. Think of it like a dose, right? When you are, uh, when the treatments are closed together, that's where it is the strongest dose. Once you are spacing it out, you are reducing the dose of ECT. And that's where if there's a medication on board along with uh, ECT, ECT plus medication supersedes the effect of either alone. So what's the uh, treatment program then for ECT? So uh, uh, when, when the goal is more improvement, uh, is the, the goal is to have improvement in the symptoms, the treatments have to be done close together. So one treatment itself uh, does not induce too much of a clinical change. Uh, so we have to do the treatments close together two to three times per week. Uh, in order to reduce the memory side effects, we try to uh, do it uh, alternate days, uh, two to three times per week. And uh, at some point, when the patient starts to show improvement, we continue it as long as there is incremental improvement. Typically, what we have seen, especially for depression, is that you start to see improvement somewhere between fourth and sixth treatment. Then you start to see more and more improvement uh, with each treatment. And by eight or 10, uh, treatment, the patient's uh, improvement plateaus. Once we have reached the point of maximum improvement, then we start to space out the treatment. And that phase is called continuation. Now, 15% of patients, 1-5-15% of patients may reach that plateau within four to six treatments. And for them, that's a it works like a miracle. Uh, and then there are some people who are late responders. So usually if someone does, for depression, if someone does not respond by 12 treatments, then we say uh, it's not working, let's stop. Although recently there is some research that suggests that if the patient is tolerating it okay, we can go even up to 18 treatments. Uh, ECT is prescribed for depression. It is also prescribed for treatment-resistant schizophrenia and sometimes treatment-resistant mania. And in treatment-resistant schizophrenia, we go up to even 20 treatments. Uh, and and it, it, its efficacy varies between different disorders. Uh, as far as uh, describing clinical improvement, we look at the symptoms, uh, patient's report, caregiver's report, and our own evaluation. Uh, so before each treatment, we do evaluate the patient and, and then make a decision. Yeah, I actually interviewed a patient who told me that she was pretty much at the end of her rope. And she says since she started doing ECT, she is able to have a job. 
She's able to maintain relationships. She says she's more even keel. She doesn't have those highs and those lows that she used to have and suffer from depression anymore. And, um, you know, she basically said it was a life changer. Do you get people like that? We often hear uh, those stories. So patients are referred to us either because of severity of illness or chronic treatment-resistant nature of the illness. We may get patients who are very severely ill and they need to get better very quickly. They don't have enough time where we can keep trying different medications. On the other hand, we also get patients who have tried so many medication options and their episodes of depression keep coming and then they, uh, they come to us. From what I understand how this procedure works, um, from what I was getting from talking to the doctor, it almost seems like a reboot. I said, is it like you're rebooting your computer? And he said, actually, it is. He's like, the computer is fine. Your brain is fine. It works. But sometimes it has some bugs in it. And it's like a debug. You reboot the computer. Is that how ECT works? Oh, Rob, now you're asking a million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great analogy about, analogy about uh, the computer reboot. But uh, we, we get asked these questions a lot. We know what it does. Uh, in terms of what ECT does to the brain, it is very hard to pinpoint is there one particular mechanism that is, that is responsible for the therapeutic efficacy. ECT can treat depression. Uh, it can also treat mania, which is opposite of depression. ECT can, treat, can help uh, with treatment-resistant uh, schizophrenia or psychosis. And even when patients with depression have psychotic features, ECT works very well. It is effective in both those conditions. And currently, the hypothesis is that because ECT does so many things at the same time, it's multiple mechanisms working together. And those mechanisms, what are they? Those are, uh, it affects different neurotransmitters. It also affects the hormonal axis, uh, so it normalizes the hormonal axis. It improves connections in the synapses, so it's called neuroplasticity, where the connection between the neurons is improved. It also proliferates neuronal growth. And, uh, and along with that, it also affects some neuropeptides and expression of certain genes. So because it is doing all of these things together, it works better than... Uh, other medications. And and that's why we are not able to pinpoint and say this one particular mechanism is responsible for its role in this disorder versus this mechani- another mechanism for the another disorder. And likely it's multitude mechanism. You mentioned earlier spacing out treatments to reduce side effects. Are there side effects to ECT? Now, when you say, when you, when you mentioned about uh, the, the computer uh, analogy, that might also explain, help me explain the memory side effects. Uh, the most common side effects are actually headache and nausea, mm-hmm. which can be easily treated with medications. The memory side effects of ECT are uh, anterograde and retrograde amnesia, which means events immediately before and after the treatment are likely to be forgotten. Now, think of memory in general, right? If you want to remember something, the first thing that needs to happen is the event has to be registered in your brain. Once you register uh, the event, after some time, that memory gets stored in different areas of the brain for long-term storage. That initial registration happens in an area called hippocampus. 
during ECT treatment, when you are doing the treatments close together, two to three times per week, that registration gets affected because the hippocampus is the one that gets stimulated the most. And if the event is not registered properly, you won't be able to get it back. Hippocampus also works as a gateway. So all the long-term memories, even when you have to recall them, they also come out through the hippocampus pathway. So when you talk about your computer analogy, if you're rebooting the computer, if you did not save the file properly, you won't be able to get it back. But if the file is already saved properly, it is there, sometimes what happens is the pathway to access that file may get corrupt and you may need some clues to, to, remi uh, to, re uh, to remind you of the old memories and then the old memory comes back. So after the acute course of ECT, within 10 days to couple of weeks, most people's ability to register and recall new information is back to normal. As far as the long-term memory, the retrospective memory or retrograde amnesia, which is events ranging from days to weeks and sometimes months before getting ECT, those memories gradually get better within a couple of months. So some people may need some clues to trigger old memories. Occasionally, some people continue to have some spottiness in the memory where certain life events, what we call as autobiographical memory, some of those memories, uh, despite clues, don't come back. But most people find those side effects to be insignificant and uh, the benefits of treating uh, their psychiatric illness, which is severe depression or schizophrenia, uh, much better compared to that that risk. Yeah, so as a staff nurse, I worked at Lenox Hill and I remember recovering ECT patients in the ICUs. That was a long time ago. The way that, you know, ECT has kind of evolved, um, they no longer need ICU care post-ECT. That, that, that's correct. Uh, the recovery from ECT is uh, very smooth. It's just like any other anesthesia, any other procedure under general anesthesia. Uh, many of the hospitals, they don't have dedicated space for ECT. And that's the reason most of the times it used to be done and it is, or even still in many hospitals, it is done in ICU, PACU. But Zucker Hillside, we have a dedicated ECT suite. So, Patients uh, get the treatment at Zucker Hillside Hospital as inpatient or outpatient. When they come as outpatient, they don't even have to change their clothes uh, because uh, it's a simple, uh, brief procedure. The patients who are admitted, they are not admitted for ECT, but it's their condition that requires them to be in the hospital. So if there is someone who is at risk of hurting themselves or other, or they, they are in a condition where they cannot take care of themselves. That concludes part one of this conversation with Dr. Sohang Sangani. In part two, which will be available in the coming weeks, we address the stigma surrounding the life-saving treatment, as well as a look back on the origins of ECT and Zucker Hillside Hospital's historic role in its use and development over the years. For Sandra Lindsay, I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day and stay safe. <laughs>